Thank you, Elaine, Stephen, choir. Let's give them another hand. And may that be our song, that our life, our life song would praise him in, in all that we do. Amen. A few quick announcements before we jump into James 2. If you'll notice, we have our sign-up table. For those of you who haven't been by, uh, we're encouraging everyone during the month of September to get connected to a life group. We have 11 different groups we offer, uh, as far as from Sunday school to groups that meet in homes. And I mentioned last week, for those of you who don't like to get up early on Sunday morning, uh, Tom Beck leads a Saturday night group, so that's kind of the caveat for those who are not morning people. We do have a nighttime group, so we're trying to accommodate everybody. There's also two ladies groups that meet during the week, and uh, really dynamic groups that uh, study the Word together, and a lot of the ladies really enjoy that, so that's important. If you have a smartphone, we do have an app we wanted you guys to know about. I know many of you travel and on the road. And uh, this will help you to keep track of uh, anything going on with the church. We also have a little prayer wall on the app where you can submit prayer requests and have people in the church pray for you. So we're trying to go tech-friendly with the church. And I know Brother Thad, who travels along the road, and others, uh, if you miss a few Sundays, it's a good way to catch up on the weekly messages. So I uh, just want to encourage you with that. Our, our theme for the year, just to remind you, in 2017, let's see if anybody remembers, two words, all in. And what we're trying to challenge everyone, Arden First, this year is to be all in for what Christ has for you. That God has rich and wonderful and glorious plans, and he wants us to be all in on what he has. He doesn't want us to be spectators, but he wants us to be participators in his kingdom. Amen. This time, let's go to Lord in prayer as we get ready to open up his word. Father, we love you, and thank you for this, this exciting time of worship. And Father... We do want to be all in for, for, for Jesus and for the kingdom and for the things of God. Help us to be reminded that the things of this world are passing away quickly, but only what is done for Christ will last. So God, help us to make an impact, not only in this world, but also in the world to come in eternity. We ask and pray as we look into James that you would speak to our hearts and you would help us to understand what your word has to say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to be in James 2, um, verses 14 through 26. And this is kind of the highlight of James's epistle. Um, many scholars have basically said this is the pinnacle of James. It's what the entire book about is about, that true faith really works. Real faith really works. And so today we're going to look at this. And it's interesting that this Halloween is 500 years ago, Martin Luther uh, put his 95 theses on, on on the church door at Wittenberg. And basically he was saying that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And as Protestants, we would agree with that completely. So James's uh, passage is going to be a little, okay, what does he mean by works? Let, let's really talk about that. Um, none of you were living when Charles Blonda um, did something amazing. He was one of the first to walk across um, America to Canada on a tightrope. And um, you see the picture there of him with a wheelbarrow. It was the summer of 1859, and the tightrope was 160 feet above the falls, Niagara Falls. And you can imagine it's one thing to go from U.S. to Canada. It's another thing to go across Niagara Falls. So he was quite an entertainer. Once he crossed in a sack... Once he walked on stilts, another time on a bicycle. 
One time, according to the story, I didn't get a picture of this, but he even carried a stove and cooked an omelet. That would be kind of interesting, wouldn't it? So on July 15th, he walked backwards across the tightrope and basically came back pushing a wheelbarrow. And he had this wheelbarrow and he asked, does anybody want to get in? Um, and the audience basically said they, they all believed he could do it, but no one wanted to get in. And he said, okay. And shortly thereafter, in the month of August, his manager, Harry, was willing to jump on his back and walk across the tightrope with him. And I think that's very illustrative of faith. Many of us would say, you know, I believe the Bible, believe in God, many in the world, that is. But are you willing to jump in? You may believe it, but are you willing to be activated in it? It's been said that faith is like calories. You can't really see calories, but you know when they're working, right? And you know when you've eaten too many of them. (laughs) So today we're going to talk about how real faith really works. And we're going to cover a pretty um, big passage, but I really want us to walk away with the theme that if you have true faith, it's going to show itself to the world around us. If you have a dead faith, it's going to be dead and it's not really going to make a difference. So how many of you are ready to jump into God's word today? Say amen. All right. James 2, verse 14. It says, what does it profit, my brethren? So notice he's talking to believers, people who are already saved. If someone claims he has faith but does not have works, can faith save him? I love other translations that says, can such a faith save him? Verse 15, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to him, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you don't give him the things that are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith. By my works. You believe there's one God? You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by faith? By works, faith was made perfect. And the scripture says, that was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Now, verse 24 is the reason why Martin Luther had a problem with James. Didn't even include it in the Bible. Because, okay, I thought a man is justified by faith alone. So we're going to talk about that. Verse 25 Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. May God bless his holy infallible word. So today we're going to talk about a real faith that really works. And some of the questions that you had, even as we read this, like verse 24 Look at verse 24. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. If you're like me and the average Bible reader, it raises some questions. I thought a person was saved by grace through faith and not of works. So what is James talking about? Well, I'm glad you're asking those questions because we're going to address those questions today. If you'll take out your listening guide, 
six ways that real faith really works. The first one is this. Real faith makes a difference in the lives of others. Verse 14 says, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can such a faith save him? So it's been said that the emperor Napoleon, he was riding on a horse and he was looking at some papers maybe about his warfare plans or whatever. And his, he didn't realize it, but he let go of the stirrup of the horse. And the horse kind of got out of control. And one of his other soldiers grabbed the horse and took charge of it. And Napoleon said to the corporal, he said, thank you, captain. And immediately the corporal left and entered into the tent, officer's tents. The other officer says, what are you doing here? He replied, I am now a captain. And he said, on whose orders? The emperor's orders. See, he understood that whatever the emperor says, that goes. And he understood that if you have faith, it's going to result in works. Just like he took charge of Napoleon's horse because he had love for the emperor. So faith is useless if it's not useful in the lives of others. Notice this scenario. You have a brother or sister. Notice it's saying a brother or sister. And all of a sudden... They're, they're, they're needing food, they're needing clothing, and you're like, God bless you, brother. God bless you, sister. And James says, is that really having faith? Just because you give a pleasant platitude, it doesn't really change anyone's life. So let, let's put it down to 2017. Imagine if one of you is dying in the hospital, and you call the church office, and we say, we're so sorry, we'll pray for you. Would that really get the job done for you? Or do you want someone from the church visiting you, praying for you? Um, meeting those needs. Uh, suppose one of you loses your job and you said, okay, we'll, we'll pray for you. Would that really make a difference in your life? Sure, prayer works, but faith without works is dead. Wouldn't you want your Sunday school class to take up an offering and to rally around you and someone to help you find a job? So James gives a beautiful illustration. Faith is useless unless it's useful in the lives of others. That's the practical nature of faith. But also, faith seeks to minister to the whole person. That's the holistic nature of faith. A lot of times, even in evangelical circles, sometimes we have a challenge. We, we separate the gospel from the person. We want to get a person saved, but we don't want to do anything else. And James, and throughout the whole Bible, yes, saving the soul is the most important, but God's concerned about the entire person. So as, as Bible-believing Baptists, we've got to have a holistic ministry. Yes, Jesus at the center. Yes, the gospel's at the center. But how many of you know in Jesus' earthly ministry, he met needs and then preached the gospel? He would feed and then he would heal. He, he would touch someone's body and then he would touch their soul. It's been said that a starving stomach, it's hard for them to hear the good news when their stomach is growling. So I love how practical James is. Real faith really works. And faith doesn't try to impress people, but faith tries to impact people. He wants to make a difference in the lives of others. Can I get an uh-huh? Number two, the second aspect of real faith. Real faith is a living faith. If you notice verses 17, 20, 26, three times it says that faith without works is what? Is dead. I heard a funny story about a church. Um, it started out, unfortunately, someone was having kind of a seizure and they, they were kind of, you know, eventually laid out on the pew. So they called the ambulance in. And they went to go find the person that had the seizure. And so many people were out of it, they didn't know who to take in the ambulance. (laughs) 
And it's like, that, that was obviously a, a fun story. But how many times is that true with their faith? So many people are out of it. And it's just like, is there life in a church? When you go to a church, and this is my, my personal opinion, so take it the gospel according to Timothy, I believe that church should be more exciting and active than a football game. I believe church, you have actually something to cheer from. And by the way, we're not playing for victory, we're playing from victory because we've already won. I know a lot of you are into college football and that's great. Some of you are in NFL, that's great. But listen, you win some, you lose some. We are, we are contending for the souls of people. And we are worshiping the God who's already defeated sin, hell, death, and the grave. So church should be something that we have something to be exciting about. Amen. Amen. Can you imagine someone that says they love you, but they're not willing to do anything about it? Verse 17 says, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Verse 20 gives a really good illustration. It says, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So here's the thing. You could have a body, but if the body is not breathing, moving, it's just laying there, it's a corpse. So as much as someone says, I'm a Christian... If there's no evidence to convict them as a Christian, James says such a faith, such intellectual assent is useless. And he's going to give us some more things to think about. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. However, true faith is living and active. James is telling us that if a person claims to be a Christian, but doesn't follow Christ as he claims, such faith, faith is a farce. It's merely lip service and not life service. So James says, listen, if someone says they're a Christian, they should live it, not just say it. Because we're going to read in a little bit, there's many people that claim faith but don't really have it. Number three, real faith is evident to others. Verse 18 gives a, James gives a hypothetical scenario. Look at verse 18 on the screen. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Now, can you really separate faith from works? So there's some people that say, you know, I'm a Christian, but there's no evidence. Now, in Asheville, on the other spectrum, there's other people that say, hey, listen, I have works. I'm just a good person. Many many Asheville, New New Age philosophy, as long as you're a good person, you're going to be okay. And James is saying, listen, you can't separate, just like you can't separate the body from the spirit and be a living person, you can't separate faith from works. So the people that says, well, I'm just a Bible believer, that's good. By the way, Satan knows the Bible better than you do and better than I do. And someone else that says, well, you just got to be a good person. You've got to be a good moral person. That's not saving faith either. So, and we're going to talk about in a little bit when we get to verse 24, how there's not a contradiction between faith and works. The two are actually two sides of the same coin. So the person says, you have faith, I have works. It makes me think of some people, and this is people claim to be, there are some people that claim to be a public believer. Hey, I'm going to show it. And there's others that claim to be a private believer. You ever seen anyone, well, my faith, I'm just very private about matters of faith. Now listen, your faith is personal, but it's never private. It's personal, but never private. Jesus died publicly on a wooden cross for your sins and for my sins. And he tells us to go make disciples, preach the gospel to all the world. So your faith is personal, but it's never private. Whoever taught you that taught you bad theology. It's never private. Amen. Luke 9, 26, I believe this is in your listening guide. Jesus says, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and as the fathers and of the holy angels. 
So Jesus is saying, listen, you can't say that you follow me and be ashamed of me. It's kind of like I'll talk to the wives. Imagine, for those of you who are married, imagine if your husband was ashamed of you. He didn't wear his wedding band. He never talked about you. In fact, we didn't even know you were married. How would that make you ladies feel? I can already feel the blood boiling up. It's the same saying, I'm a Christian, but I don't talk about it. I don't live it. You don't even know. Jesus never comes out of my mouth. Jesus said that doesn't work. Paul, in equally strong words, said in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So think about that. Paul says, I'm not ashamed. Listen, if someone had stage four terminal cancer and you knew of a cure from another country that would get them complete healing and wholeness, it would be considered an act of being very unloving not to give them that cure. If you have the gospel, which you know is the cure to every human issue, you think about terrorism. What is the underlying root of cause of terrorism? It's a sinful heart. They need the gospel. You think about poverty. You think about every need. If we embrace the gospel, we would make a difference in our world. And I think that Christians who get the gospel get that we're here to help the poor. We get that hearts and lives have to change. So ultimately, every issue is really a gospel issue. Are they willing to repent of their sins and trust in Christ? Because that's what changes lives. Amen. An English preacher, and this is for Paul Hunt, wherever he's at, he, he was upon a conversation, happened upon a conversation about his one of the friend's horses died. And the gentleman was really upset. And this is my only horse. And this is how I get to work. And I don't know what to do. And everyone kept saying how sorry they were to the man. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry about your horse. I remember how I used to feed him. And all these stories. And they were so sorry. But then the preacher spoke up. And he said, I am sorry five pounds worth. How sorry are you? And of course, as pastors do, he took up a collection to replace the horse. So faith without works is what? It's dead. Number four, real faith goes beyond head knowledge. Now, verse 19 is very convicting to me as a student of the word. It says, you believe there is one God, you do well. The demons believe and even tremble. And here's the thing about that verse. Donald Barnhouse once said, and this shocked me reading his quote. He says, there are, I'm going to read his quote to you. He said, there are enough Bible-believing people in hell to hold a Bible conference. Knowing the Bible, believing the Bible doesn't save you. In fact, the case study that James gives us is the demons. All throughout Jesus' ministry, what did the demons scream? What do you have to do with us, Jesus, thou Son of God? Are you here to torment us? They knew who Jesus was. They knew he was the Son of God. They knew his Messiah. But did that head knowledge save him? In the same way, many people sit in the church pew Sunday after Sunday... They have great theology, but they haven't transferred it from their heart to their head. It's one thing to know something. It's another thing to personally, intimately know it and receive it. So James says, listen, if you, if you say Jesus is the Messiah, that's great. If you think Jesus is God, that's great. But guess what? Even the devil knows that. And they shudder in fear. So many, several years back, it was a Princeton University poll, and the percentage is probably lower than this, but at the time of the poll, they found out that 64% of non-churchgoers believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Now think about that. 64% of non-churchgoers at this time 
believe that Jesus was the Son of God. It's probably a lot lower now, but think about that. If they believe that, did that really make a difference in their behavior? Did it really transform their lives? Number five, real faith. Real faith is a dynamic partnership of belief and action. So let's look at the scripture here, and this is really where it gets, it gets fun. It says, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Now here's the verse 24, where a lot of Protestants squirm at this verse. You see that a man is justified by works, and not by faith only. So here's the question. Does James contradict Paul? Let's look at the scriptures on your outline. Paul, Romans 3.28, and he says, Therefore we conclude a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Galatians 2.16, also Paul, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. And here we read James, that a man is justified by works, and not by faith only. And that's why Martin Luther, some 500 years ago, wrote these 95 theses about things that he had problem with faith plus works. Now, I think where Martin Luther and others get it wrong is you've got to look at context. Did you know that sometimes a word can have two or more meanings depending upon the context? I'll give you an example. How many of you ever remember the show The Beverly Hillbillies? All right, now some of the guys are awake now that fell asleep. The Beverly Hillbillies, it's interesting how uh, Jed, he was named vice president of the bank. And Mr. Drysdale uh, was talking to him about it. And Jed didn't understand what vice president meant. So the whole Clampett family went home. And I think they got a dictionary out and looked up what the word vice meant. And here's the definition. It was defined as evil and crime. So Jed Clampett's like, I don't want to be the evil president. So at the bank, he changed his title from vice president to nice president. (laughs) So here's the thing. Someone tell me who Paul was talking to when he wrote to, say, the book of Romans. Anybody know? Okay, Pharisees, so the Jews. He was writing to a group of people, you know, and many of them, many, many of them believed it was faith plus works. Think about the Judaizers in Galatians, for example. It was, you've got to accept Jesus plus be circumcised. Um, you think about Paul writing to the Jews in Romans, uh, a part, portion of that scripture. And they were thinking that you could be saved by what you did with the Old Testament law, with the Old Covenant. And Paul was writing to a group of people that were thinking you could be justified in the sight of God by works. And he said, listen, you're saved by faith. You're saved by grace through faith and not of works. Okay, James, was he writing to believers or unbelievers? He was writing to believers. So James is talking about a different type of justification here. And this will really help clear it up, and at least it did in my mind. Paul was talking about how justified in Paul's sense meant that God declared someone righteous, forgiven. James was writing to people who are already declared by God as righteous, and he was using the word justify, meaning to demonstrate. An example, we even use that in the word English. You ever hear someone say, justify your actions? And they're basically saying prove or show it to be true. So both James and Paul, they don't contradict each other. They actually complement one another. 
So here's, here's how it works. For those who are like, this is confusing. We are saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves, as the gift of God. But even the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2.10, which we sometimes don't quote, we quote Ephesians 2.8 and 9, and many of you know it. It says, for by grace we're saved through faith, not of yourselves, is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then in verse 10, Paul talks about the other side of the coin, and he says, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And by the way, James and Paul at the Council of Jerusalem, they agreed that Christians were saved by grace through faith alone, I believe in Acts 15. So James and Paul are in agreement. What they were talking about is two sides of the same coin. One is we are justified in the sight of God through faith alone. And it's a gift of God. We don't earn faith. We don't deserve it. God grants it and we have to respond to it. James, on the other hand, was talking about our testimony in front of others. So Paul was talking about the root of faith being right in the sight of God, whereas James is talking about the fruit of faith. And by the way, Jesus said the same thing in the Gospels. He says, by their fruits you shall know them. So James and Paul never contradict each other. And by the way, for those of you who are... uh, Bible students in here, um, it's interesting how Genesis 15 and 22, when, when James quotes his scripture, how Abraham offered up Isaac, there's at least 30 years that separates Genesis 15 when Abraham believed God and it was considered him from righteousness. About 30 years or more passed by when he's getting ready to offer up his teenage son. So here, even, even James verifies his own belief. If you look back in Verse number 23, it says the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. That's what happened 30 years before. And then 30 years afterward, he justified or proved it in front of others. You remember how he told the people that was with him, you stay here and the lad and I will come back. And when they came back, Abraham's faith was proved to the people when he came back. He had already shown it to God, which God knew 30 years previous. So true faith is something special. And I think if we did an autopsy of faith, we discover at least two things. The first thing we would discover is faith is simply believing in God, but believing God always results in actions. So in other words, we're saved by grace through faith alone. But true faith, think about it like this. If God moves inside of you, don't you think it's going to make a difference in your life? I mean, here's the thing as a pastor. I don't have to manipulate people to go to church. I don't have to beg and plead. Here's what I need to do is get them madly in love with Jesus Christ. And they're going to be reading the Bible. They're going to be going to church. They're going to be fall. It's the heart. And for so many, so many years and decades, churches have beat people over the head with the Bible with guilt. But really, it's a heart issue. If your heart is on fire for God, I don't have to coax you to go to church or read your Bible. You're going to do it out of love and passion, because if God moves in, guess what? Your life changes. Amen? And as we mentioned, faith is like a two-sided coin. On one side, you have the root. That's your belief in God. And the other side is the fruit. Because faith without works is dead. So I talked to the ladies a while ago. Let me, let me change it and talk to the men. Men, how would you feel, for those of you who are married, and those of you who want to get married, if your wife or future wife-to-be said, you know what, I'm going to tell you that I love you, but after that, I'm never going to mention it again. I'm going to, the first week of the marriage, I'm going to cook you a meal, but after that, you're on your own. Or whatever the scenario may be. Some of you are like, Timothy, you don't know. Um, or, or flip it around. Imagine 
Wives, if, if your husband said, I told you I loved you the day I married you, that should, should be good enough. When it comes to your birthday, when it comes to anniversary, when it comes to Christmas, I don't have to give you a gift. I am your gift. Now, everybody is ticked at church, right? So how many Christians say, well, you know, I walked the aisle, I got baptized, that should be good enough for Jesus. And from, from Jesus' perspective, he says, listen, I died on the cross for you. I rose again the third day. I moved inside of you through the Holy Spirit. And many of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we're in essence a couch potato Christian. You know what a couch potato is. Wives don't look at your husbands. But Sunday's on, the game's on, you're sitting there, you've got the chips, you've got the beverage, you're enjoying yourself. And then three hours later, your wife comes back and you're still watching the same game. And it'll last three hours. Sorry, honey. And that's one thing. But if they're that way every day, then, then you get the definition of couch potato. How many of us are couch potato Christians? We, 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 we pray the prayer, we, we, we walk the aisle, we get baptized, and after that, we become a spectator, not a participator. What would James say about that? He would say, faith without works is what? Dead. Number six, real faith transforms the sinner into the saint. I love the two examples he gives. He gives Abraham the patriarch. And then he gives Rahab the prostitute. Now, think about the contrast from the patriarch to the prostitute. God wants to do something in, in his life. So I think James does that for a reason. Some of you who have been grown up in church, you can relate to the father of faith. I've been around faith. My dad, my granddad, my grandma were, were, were people of faith. Some of you who have no faith background, Rahab appeals a lot more to you. Like I can relate. So James says, regardless of where you come from, regardless of your background, from the patriarch to the prostitute, everything in between, guess what? Real faith makes a real difference in your life. And I love the story about Rahab. It says in verse number 25, was not Rahab the harlot justified by works? Now, it's interesting. James is using the same concept, not justified in the sight of God, but in the sight of men. Because think about it. Whenever the children of Israel coming to overtake Jericho, they needed to see evidence that Rahab truly had changed and that she was going to follow the people to faith. She got spared because she justified that she had truly changed. And some, I heard one scholar that said Rahab was probably not just the typical lady of the night. Most, most likely she was involved in cultic prostitution because the Canaanite deities, they, they had temple prostitutes. So of all people, Rahab was the least likely because she was the one who was probably proponent of the false god. So for her to give up all the false idols and gods and her people is illustrative of us as people. We have to forsake the world and go after the people of God. So I want you to think about it. What in your life shows to people, not to God, but to people that you truly have it? I'm not at all trying to get you to doubt your faith or question your salvation but what I am trying to do is deliver James' message that if you, you have real faith, it's going to really show. If you just have a head knowledge, like I believe in Jesus, I believe the Bible, I can quote John 3.16, all that is wonderful, but it has to transform from the faith to the heart. It has to transfer. In Jimmy Carter, President Jimmy Carter's autobiography, he mentioned something that really spoke to me. He said, as a young man, he had another gentleman come up to him and said, Jimmy... If you were to be arrested for the crime of being a criminal, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And Mr. Carter basically said from then on that haunted him. 
And he wanted to live his life from then on. Sure, he made a share of mistakes. But he wanted to live his life from then on that if he was brought before a court, a court of men, that there would be enough evidence to convict him that he was a Christian. So how do we, how do we summarize it? Let's, let's review. Number one, what is real faith? Real faith makes a difference in the lives of others. James says, listen, if you have faith, you can't just say it, you've got to show it. If a believer or someone's hurting and you can help them, we need to do our best to help them. And for those of you who are sitting there with the question, oh, wait a second, there's so many people out there hurting. You may not can help everybody, but can you help one person? I love what Andy Stanley says, do for one what you wish you could do for the many. You can't help everybody, but you can help somebody. Number two, real faith is a living faith. Three times he says, faith without works is dead. So if we are a church that believes in the gospel, lives the gospel, we should be considered alive. And we all express it differently. Some of us are more emotional than others, and that's fine. But there needs to be evidence that you really believe it. Number three, real faith is evident to others. If you say it but they can't see it, how is that going to make a difference in their lives? Number four, real faith goes beyond head knowledge. We mentioned that even the demons believe and shudder and tremble. As Christians, it's not just in your head, it's in your heart. Do you really believe it? Number five, real faith is a dynamic partnership of belief and action. On one side of the coin, you have faith that justifies you in the sight of God. You are saved by faith, by grace through faith in Christ alone. But on the flip side, when you are truly saved, it shows in fruit. It shows in works. And number six, real faith transforms the sinner into the saint. And if we want to come to Christ, we all have to come as sinners. And once we experience his grace, he transforms the sinner into the saint. Your take-home truth, to summarize all of this into one sentence, real faith really works. I want you guys to say it with me. Real faith really works. God wants our faith to be living, active, and alive. So here's some questions as you go to lunch in just a few minutes to discuss. Number one, what is the difference between head knowledge and saving faith? Is there a difference? Number two, is it possible to believe that Jesus is God and still be without saving faith? Can you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, he rose the third day, and still not have saving faith? Is that possible? And number three, how do you know you really have faith? And I want you to write down 1 John 5, 12-13 and Romans 10, 18-13. These are some clues that you really have it. That it's really not just a head knowledge or intellectual assent, but this is a living, saving faith. If you will, please pray with me. Father, your word is powerful and your word is true. And God, I, I just thank you that I'm a messenger. I don't write your word, I just deliver it. And God, if any toes were stepped on, it wasn't me, it was your word and your spirit. So I just want to talk first of all to the believers as everyone is praying. Would there be someone like myself that would say, Timothy, I often fall short of living out my faith. And it could be a multitude of things, whether it's helping out a brother or sister who's in need. And you're like, well, I would lo- well, I'd love to help, but I really can't. And, and you know, you, you have that struggle and sometimes you realize that it's not about helping everybody. It's about helping someone, the people that God places in your path. For those of you like myself who want your faith to be living and active, so that the world around it sees this faith and they want this faith. Just right where you're sitting, just say a prayer like, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for where my faith doesn't show. I realize that I'm saved, 
by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Not of works. But I realize if Jesus has moved inside of me, the Holy Spirit is living inside of me, it should show and my life should be different. So help me, God, to live out my faith. To have a real faith that makes a real difference in my real world today, tomorrow, and forever. And as the believers are praying, I want to talk to someone that maybe is seeking out the Lord. And maybe you've never never made the decision. And today you talked about head knowledge and having a, a real relationship. And that just believing that Jesus is God doesn't get you to heaven. It's receiving that. It's asking him to come into your life and forgive you. And turning from your sin and turning to God. Right where you're at. If you want to become a Christian, just in your own words, to say, Jesus, I realize I've got to transform my life. I, I need you to transform it. I realize I've got to change, but I can't do it on my own. I need you to change me. Jesus, forgive me of all my sins. I not only believe with my head, but I believe with my heart that you are God and that you're good and that you have a plan for my life. So Jesus, I personally pray that you would come into my life, that you would forgive me of my sins. I, I repent of my sins and I turn to you. Jesus, I make you my Lord and my Savior. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, we want to welcome you to the family of God. Father, as you hear our prayers, help us to have a real faith that really works and really makes a difference in the lives of others. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, Amen. This time, if you would stand for a closing song, I'll be at the front and Miss Judy will be at the front. And if you guys have any prayer concerns, if you have someone that is going through a tough time and you want to pray for them, if you want to come forward and say, Pastor Timothy, like yourself, I want my faith to show. Or if you prayed the prayer to receive Christ and you want to let one of us know that you prayed that prayer, just come forward. As we sing, respond as the Spirit leads.